This week's podcast is going to be a good one. I have Nick Lumley here. He's the head of performance at the New South Wales Waratahs. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to this one. We're going to talk everything rugby, everything human performance, and everything about how good your GM is. Like, is he really as good as he makes out he is? Uh, I'm, yet say to, that? I'm yet to see it. You yet to see it. Well, that's probably us too. So, um, Adam, <laughs> nice shout out there. You, you are the best GM in sport, mate. <laughs> Welcome to the Body Science Podcast. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health-related condition. Welcome to Body Science HQ, the world of fit, happy, healthy. This week, we have rugby union royalty in the house. We have the head of performance for the New South Wales Waratahs Rugby, Nick Lumley, and how are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having Before, me. Yeah, look, this is, I'm, I've really looked forward to this one because your your resume is really exciting. Do you want to tell us how Australian sport gained you in the <laughs> process? If you've done some pretty cool stuff on your resume, how, how did you end up here? Yeah, oh, kind of half by chance, half by design. Um, yeah, I, when, I, when I did a sports science degree um, 15 years ago, leaving uni, doing my undergrads, you kind of trying to work out what you're going to do, no, what you're going to use this degree for, what you're going to do with your life. And, um there were people coming back from their placements. The program I'm on, uh, I was on, um, offered like a year in industry as part of the degree program. And I didn't actually do it, but others did. So in my final year, all of the guys that had their year on placement then came back. And I got to know and love shoulders of some of them. And a lot of them secured work. And there were guys coming back with these stories of working in professional sports institutes, working in professional clubs of different codes, et cetera. And, Three or four of my mates in my final year ended up getting jobs working as S&C coaches in pro sport. And I didn't really believe that was a viable work option. Like it's <laughs> 2006, 2007 time. Um, and I was like, sure, you're not doing that for a living, surely. And, and, and they were. And they were going to Bath Rugby, Gloucester, places like that. Guys in, going to the English Institute of Sport, um, things like that. And I realized, hang on, that's a pretty cool way to earn a living. So you're not from that point, yeah, so I kind of pursued it from that point onwards. I was kicking myself. I didn't do year in industry like the Waratahs we've got um, students here now um, from that same degree program I did all those years ago they're here now doing their year in industry with us we're now in a, we're a placement provider and one of them does a lot of the stuff with, a lot of work with the BSC stuff for us now um, is that carrying and, the buckets is that what you're talking about yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean it's, it's not that you're making your way in these sessions not the most glamorous job in the world there's a lot of manual labour involved yeah. yeah it is um, yeah. and so yeah Harris he's called he's done a lot he's made some shakes this year um, <laughs> and so yeah I kind of thought well I should have done my year in industry and so the guys at the uni sort of, as I was graduating helped me out and introduced me to some of their providers and, and some of their sort of placements they had I ended up getting an opportunity to go and be a, a S&C coach for Welsh Rugby Union in 2008-2009 Warren Gatland had just taken over Welsh Rugby and they hired a guy Craig White who they'd brought in from he left the Tigers Wasps Wallabies Ireland he's had a decent resume himself and he was looking for a, put, a, put a crew together really and he was looking for someone to be bottom of the food chain and make the protein shakes and do the urine testing and all the fun jobs that he was doing back then and yep. that, was, that was me and I was, I, was, uh, I was their first intern in Wales I did that for a year and it was awesome I shared an office with some very good people well, we had two full time nutritionists in camp there um, wow and we had, yeah, it was it was a the Welsh rugby even back then was incredibly well resourced, and um, yeah, that kind of got me going. Off the back of that, I got um, a short gig in Scotland when I first moved to Scotland and do their Olympic sports for a bit. Um, off the back of that, Gloucester Rugby came up and um, 
sort of one of those times you check your CV out there looking for work and they will say, oh, well, keep your CV on file. And you just think, yeah, they're just saying that. Well, this time they actually did and they rang me out the blue one day and said, we've got a job going. Would you be interested in coming and talk to us? And I drove from, you guys won't know much, for Australia, it's not a long way, but in the UK, driving from, I was in Stirling in sort of middle, middle of Scotland, middle of nowhere, drove down to Gloucester to meet Gloucester. It was overnight one night and met them for a day and drove back up the next day. And a couple of days later, they rang me and offered me the job. So, and that was that. I was packing my bags again down to Gloucester and did three years there in the premiership. And, um, I then got to go and do Olympic sports after after Gloucester for a bit, which was cool. Um, not really much nutrition in Olympic sports. It's very kind of segregated how you operate in that environment. You're very much just a strength and conditioning coach, even more so just a strength coach, really. It's all, almost all gym-based um, okay. in, in those environments. And then off the back of that, I've been there for three years, and I, I knew Scottish rugby pretty well when I was at Gloucester. <coughs> we, had, we had five of the... Uh, Starting 15 from Scotland in our team at Gloucester. They, um, and so I sort of constant interactions with the Scottish national setup back in the day around those players. And so there's always that link there and the ongoing chat here and there. And off the back of the, I was at, in Olympic sports for London 2012 and Glasgow 2014. And I, I didn't really have a few sessions with a few guys going to London Olympics, but I had a two year build into the Glasgow Commie Games. A lot of judo guys I trained for that. And, after the Commie Games, it seemed like a natural time to, to move on. And that was me off to Scotland, um, three years on the sevens. And in pro sport, the difference between doing what I do, like in a pro sport, you oversee anything you can do in that realm of performance that's going to help you win. You try and, you try and do, you know, so you're back in getting involved with nutrition, getting involved with, more involved with recovery, physiology, whatever it is that's going to get these guys best prepared on the field. And in pro sport, that's what you do. Whereas Olympic sports, you provide a service and that's literally, you provide that service S&C and that's, that's it. So, yeah, I did seven for three years, travelled the world. Um, it was awesome. Like the World Series back then were 10 cities, very quite, quite, quite nice cities as well. Stopped all over the place. They've, scaled it down massively now but back then that's what it was like and I would then do the 15s quite often in the summer so 2015 Rugby World Cup and I went to, did a tour to Japan with the 15 aside Scotland set up as well and I was looking at what I was doing post three years of that and ended up um, in Edinburgh Rugby and I did four four and a half years in a role similar to this one leading a far bigger team um, the first time really leading a team of people and for four and a half years with Edinburgh um, in the what's called the UFC now and the, and also the European Cups and yeah I was kind of out the blue really the opportunity the Waratahs kind of came up and how did you find out about it is it somebody told you or yeah is a, there a database everyone taps in nah, jobs like there were there's been a strong link between Scottish rugby and, and Australian rugby there's yep. been a the head coach, obviously, Dave Rennie moved across. He was yep. in Scotland before the Wallabies. Um, me and Dave were coaching. We, we didn't really have a relationship before I worked with him here. Like We knew of each other and that was it. I coached Edinburgh. I was involved with Edinburgh. And they were Glasgow. We were up on rival sides and the rivalry was quite strong back then. My boss and Dave used to exchange views on things now and again, often in the press. And But it, behind the scenes, it was all reasonably friendly. But I didn't have a relationship with him the director of rugby in scotland left scotland to become a director of rugby at australia and um, he was sort of the guy that was involved in my recruitment and to edinburgh in particular um and so there was a my name would have been put forward by by ra um to the waratahs but still very much so you stand on your own two feet and you get the job on your own merits it was yeah. it's the world we live in now it's that's the way it's done and so yeah i wasn't really ever I'd always had ambitions to live over here and work over here. I used to come here on PD a lot. I used to come here for like two or three weeks at a time and visit the AFL clubs and travel around. I did a couple of trips, but sort of four years apart, visiting the clubs and other parts of the world. And I always, Australia was a 
appealed to me. I really liked time I spent here, both as a country, but also the like the sports mad, sports obsessed culture, really, compared to back home. And so, yeah, absolutely. I just, I just didn't think. I thought with COVID and all that, I thought these offers maybe aren't. This isn't going to happen for me. Like the world's changed, travels changed, all the rest of it's changed. I didn't think you know, maybe the time was, wasn't going to happen. But then out of nowhere, this opportunity ended up sort of um, coming up, and yeah, I couldn't really say no to it. Like, hey, please, how can you? Uh, so that yeah, was it. Exactly. I was packing my bags and moving to Sydney. I love it. So for a young SNC, a young coach looking to pathway to elite sport, do you think yeah. your judo, your track and field, the bobsled, all the things that you do rugby is what got you to where you're at? Or do you think these days we need to stay more in one lane and focus on that lane? What are your thoughts in that space for like anyone out there who's listening who's in this space? Yeah, um, there's not one route. There's, diff- there's people from different routes. It depends. For me, the best advice I'd give someone young is, like, if we advertise the job for, you know, an S&C coach or whatever entry-level salary, we're going to get a lot of applicants. You're talking like, I remember it, last time I advertised uh, one of those roles in, in the UK, we had like 120 applicants. So wow. you're, sifting, you're sifting through those CVs. How are you going to find the person you're going to hire? You've got basic level of criteria you want to tick off. These days, everyone's got a degree. Most people are ambitious. A lot of them have got master's degrees now. It's pretty common. Yep. And they've all got their accreditation from UKCA, ASCA, whatever it will be, like your yeah, strength conditioning sort of qualification. So then how do you find what you want? So you're looking for someone that separates them. So if someone's got a unique skill set because they've worked in track and field and they're a really good sprint coach or they've done really good di- diagnostics with um, strength like assessments and training and prescription or athletic background in that area, married in with that or whatever it might be, something that just separates them. That's usually the, what gets you past it because once you go through the, your normal process of degree, master's, tick, tick, accreditation's tick, a little bit of work experience tick, you've got a pile of maybe 15, 20 still. So how do you then pick out of that what you want? And so you need to get your basics covered off for sure. Yeah. But then you need, you need something that separates you from, from the crowd. Um, and I think what, what I'm always looking for when I'm hiring, I'm usually looking for people that can do all the basics and cover, you know, new guys that can coach on the field, coach in the gym, that they can do the admin bits you need done. But then what does this person add to our collective team? What does this person add to our collective sort of brains that we're in the room? Do they have a niche? Is there something they're going to be better than everyone else and take forward? And that's what I will look for. So for a young coach, like develop your skills, develop areas of interest develop areas that separate yourself from the crowd because in in my experience of of recruitment that tends to be what ultimately gets people through the foot foot in the door somewhere like the most recent appointment we made here is Angus Tees has come on board for um, to be our academy S&C and sort of lead up the academy Um, yeah, real solid coach, and you know, as lots of candidates were, he had a real interest and experience in rehab. He'd done a lot of rehab for Chiefs, um, yep. and could, could demonstrate and talk very confidently about his rehab alongside his basic core S and C. So we were gain, gaining S and C coach did a good good job with our academy, but we we're also gaining some of the rehab expertise and rehab passion, yeah, which nice. brought into our team. So that's that's tensely what gets people get people in. So yeah, develop something that separates you from the crowd. I love that, mate. That's great advice. And also, what are your thoughts on, and this is not a discrimination between a family man and a, and a single man or a male or a female or whoever's going for the particular role, because these days skill levels are everywhere. What are your thoughts? Like you, you look at what you just told us your journey was. Hmm. What do you think about the, the young male or female that's got a young family, <laughs> you know, pursuing this career path? Is it still a good career path? <laughs> Depends what you're about to give, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it can be tough. Yeah, it can be tough. Because um, how many hours a week are you doing at the TARS? Like, what's a typical week look like? 
Yeah, it's all day, all night, isn't it? <laughs> it can be quite a long day, yeah, in season in particular. But yeah, yeah. Look, in season, I'll get in for like quarter past six. We'll have our first meeting at 6.45. And by the time you're washed up and you're, you know, and boys are gone and you've downloaded everything and written what you need to write into emails and whatever else, yeah, it's 5, 5.30. And sometimes you might get a phone call or a few WhatsApp on the sofa at night. Um, that's pretty normal. But it doesn't feel like work. Like we're lucky to do what we do. Like it's a great gig yeah. compared to people that go like real work. Get go to your local hospital and look at people working in those hospitals and what what they're getting paid and what they're to do. And you go look at people working in public services. And you look at what we're doing. Like, geez, like if you don't like the work hours, then there's plenty of people that would love to do it. So yeah, I would, I, would, I would never complain about the hours. You do long hours, but I enjoy turning up to work every day. Like Sunday night, I'm not sat at home on the sofa on a Sunday night dreading going to work. Um, like some people in certain careers maybe are. Um, I'm not living for the weekend. Like your know, weekends are great, but I enjoy a weekday as well because it's a people. People do this for a hobby, don't they? They go and play for the local team at, in the evenings, yeah. and they go they go and coach the local team for a hobby when they reach a certain age, whatever. Like we're getting paid to be here. It's awesome, you know. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Hi, I'm Tom Green, Olympic champ from Tokyo. And if you want the best tasting protein bars on the market, you should try the new Body Science Moose Range. Greg, you better be testing those, mate. They're getting drug tested. Got you covered, mate. So you, you're into the nutrition. Side in a big way too because mm-hmm. um Sharon who is our manager of elite teams here is always giving me can we do this request from you there's <laughs> pretty much one a week coming through and you know, I've, I've worked out you're quite technical in that space yeah. so when you finish there you got a job at body science and product development um but do you want to touch on how important for you like it mm. like adapting training programs and strategies and setting goals for players that's that's your meat potato so that's the base but having that nutrition knowledge as well in your space have you found that's given you the ability to take an athlete to a new level i, I think it's massive i think it's under I think it's underdeveloped and under-resourced in Australia massively. Like, I think there's some awesome things over here I've experienced and learned a heap from being here, but the nutrition is not as pronounced as the UK. And I understand there's been historical issues around some of the doping cases in pro sports and the ramifications of that and legislation for that and all the rest of it before my time. But I understand that's influenced how people practice, and, and rightly so. Um, but it's not as maybe aggressive and are not as um, maybe um, pushed as hard. Um, I'm sure there's some places doing it amazingly well. But if you t- do a rule of thumb, I look back to those trips I did around different AFL clubs and I visited maybe 12 of the 18 over the years. And very few of them were doing as much in the nutrition space as what club rugby clubs were doing in, the, in Europe, for example. Um, I realized pretty quickly that if you skip, go back to why it's important, there's two aspects to coaching and making athletes better. Yeah, you're coaching them, which is essentially teaching, isn't it? It's pedagogy. It's, you know, that's, that's what coaching is. But then a good coach could not be very effective if the content's wrong. So we're trying to coach people well and teach them well, but we're also trying to manipulate physiology. And there's two arms to writing an SEC program. Well, manipulating physiology is great, but you need to understand physiology. And the two things go hand in hand. So take a guy trying to increase their muscle mass. You need to create you know, max recruitment to recruit your biggest muscle fibers. You need to do a significant amount of muscle damage um, through whatever means, usually through pets for failure or high volume of work, etc. And there's an energetic side to come into that around substrate depletion, which will also, we, we believe, will probably trigger hypertrophy. So those things you consider, it, three things you'd consider for writing a training program to make someone make someone's muscle grow. But that can be that can be done incredibly well. You can choose great exercises that allow you to load up tissues really well, etc., etc. If you're in a calorie deficit, it's not going to work. Like hypertrophy requires calories. It requires a calorie surplus. Um, it's, it's, it's a non-negotiable. If you don't hit adequate protein balance or, or protein intake, we know there's all the research from McMaster and from Canada around, you need to have 
a certain amount of protein. Like we will encourage our guys to put two grams a kilo of body weight protein per day. Uh, because that's what the research is suggesting is optimal. We want to space it every, every three hours. We know if we take 30 grams or 0.3 grams per kilo of protein, you're probably going to elevate mTOR, which is our signaling pathway behind muscle growth. You're going to trigger that for three hours, and then it's probably going to switch off. Then take it again, to take another dose, you switch it on for three hours. If you're trying to make someone's muscle grow, we're trying to create an environment conducive to muscle growth. We want to take protein every three hours of the adequate amount. We want to take an adequate quantity. Why we like your products, you use whey protein. It's high in leucine, which we know is really important for muscle growth. So we need to get those things right. We to make sure there's a calorie surplus. Without that muscle growth won't happen. So without these things in place, you can write an awesome SSC program. It won't work because yeah, okay. you haven't created an antibody. You haven't created a, a, a. You haven't manipulated physiology in a way that's going to give you the optimal response because there's a hole in your program. And so you realise actually these things need to go hand in hand. So. Go with the, I mentioned working in Olympic sports that it would be quite um, you deliver a service if you stay in your lane someone else does S&C someone does physiology someone does nutrition you know, someone does biomechanics etc etc and I have all these people they call these like holistic support teams around an athlete and that's great it looks good on paper but some of the day to day operations of that can be a challenge because if one person is not on the same page they're taken away from the outcome and yeah, so what's great in pro sport is ultimately like in my role here you're head of athletic performance and I think that's not rugby I think it's physical that's going to help them run on the pitch better falls under our remit so we can make sure these things are aligned so we'll make sure the guys that are trying to you know, gain muscle mass have a dietary advice and interventions in place and supplements in place that are conducive to that our guys trying to adjust body comp by holding muscle mass and losing fat well you know we'll use different products we'll use your whey and creatine we won't give them the carbs we'll try and create a moderate calorie deficit we'll do extra conditioning on top of that off feet like what biking we use a lot alongside their weight training we know that if you're feeding them a calorie deficit we are predisposed to losing muscle rugby players don't want to lose muscle so we'll do extra weights for those guys like it's, it's a rubbish it's a rubbish position to be in trying to lose muscle lose body fat the rugby player so you've got to do all the weights that the guy's gaining plus extra what biking and starve yourself um, yeah i was just thinking that would suck like i was listening to you talk then going that would uh, it's very easy don't don't be fat your life will be a lot easier yeah. <laughs> is there a special name for that what bike club well we uh we're not, not one i want to say on air no <laughs> <laughs> one of the teams when we first started back in 2002 used to have a thing called the fat club mm. and um had very similar strategies in place yeah. to what you're talking yeah, about so, yeah. yeah so you, you look at all that stuff together then nutrition goes hand in hand with the training yeah and so it, it, it makes complete sense doesn't it? and yet most strength performance courses these days just touch on the very basics of nutrition don't they they don't really uh, dig deep at all in that space absolutely bare minimum i have to i have to go away and go back and study again to get qualified but actually it's a, a bit of a niggle here that the the australian sports sort of bodies look for dietetics and dietitians um yeah. i in the uk it's sports nutritionists and sports nutrition i studied a diploma through the iopn which is a one of the sort of leading educational bodies in the UK. And in the UK, that, that will qualify you to practice as a nutritionist in the UK, but not here. So we do have external support that comes in that assists with it because it is a different qualification, but the content is largely the, largely the same. And so that, that's where you know, my interest in nutrition has come from. And it's something that's probably ticked along in the background for a number of years now that I've um, I always had a big interest in it. And I, I, in, a, in a sport like Rugby Union, it's so important because they are big guys and they need some big guys. Like Rugby League doesn't have a scrum. It does have a scrum, but it's, it's not a scrum, is it? It's not contested. Um, it's a breather. <laughs> there's not a lot of pushing going on like these guys do. <laughs> so you need big, heavy bodies. You need big, tall bodies for the line out. There's some, a huge variety of shapes and sizes. Because of that, you've got more bodies on the field that are predisposed to getting fat if you're feeding, for example. Like coaching AFL nutrition 
wise, you're about well-being and you're about energy provision for a 15, 16, 17K. Bags on match day, well, we have to do big bags, okay, we'll sort of more 5, 6, 7K. But we've got 120 plus kilo guys that are pretty yeah, that's a big difference, fat. isn't it? You can feed those AFL guys as much as you want, they're probably not going to get fat. Nah, exactly, they're doing the Ks, aren't they? Mm. Mate, with everything you're talking about, how do you stay up to date? Mm. How, how much of your life is outside of the gym <laughs> with the crew and actually, you know, keeping that, your lane yeah. totally at the top of the level where it's at? I I, I enjoy reading. Um, I, the reason when I talked to you earlier about being at uni and hearing about these people doing this for a living, oh, that's a cool way to earn a living. I used to train myself, like I have background in athletics and weightlifting and big interest in training myself even now while, you know, going to the gym most days and do something and still pretty competitive that I can compete physically with stuff because it's what gets me out of bed and what makes me keeps me going as part of me as a, a person really um, you know I will I've always had a huge passion for training and teaching and all those things myself and so I've always been a reader and I've always interested but generally interesting in the topic as I've yep. got older and I'm a bit more established in this field I guess I've got to know a lot of the sort of predominant researchers and academics so that helps a lot I tend to by and large if we get an injury that I'm not that familiar with or not that well read on I've got people I know of that are very experienced and very top level sort of medical backgrounds or you know physios whatever that I will normally pester them for their opinion and they'll then off that opinion they'll normally guide me into the the, the source of the best information it tends to save a bit of time like I remember working in um, Olympic sports in, in back in Bath and we just got Stu Phillips in for a couple of days he was uh, one of the main researchers in protein type and timing from McMaster who's probably nice. he's one of the world leads on sort of protein provision for muscle growth and muscle wastage in the elderly and all those things and so it saves an awful lot of time when you get straight to source because you, <laughs> he, awesome. he'll, he'll, he'll tell you the labs that are doing the best research and he'll give you his overviews for it for an hour and an hour in his time presenting to us probably was uncovered more than I'd have found for two or three weeks of reading and so that's a, a, a shortcut a little bit but by and large I'd still read I'll read every week every pretty regularly you scroll for 20 minutes and you find interesting content that's pertinent to what you're doing like you know the other day the ACL bracing paper cross bracing papers came out the other day and we're sort of clicking through that and stuff just comes up and it's part of what you do if you're not staying current then you're on the way out aren't you because yeah, you're either... exactly that's so true so true so, it is what it is so mate next year let's talk TARS where are we where are we finishing uh, we're getting a premiership next year because we'd like one well, yeah we would like one yeah that's, that's certainly yeah. the plan that's certainly the plan it's Sharon a... just gave me the look of like the death look then she just went oh you don't talk about that Greg we're not we're, we're not talking about that are we yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, we, I, I'm sure if you if, I'm if all you... about winning I think you guys are too like the cult, I love the TARS like as far as the New South Wales team because I'm a Queenslander and it's that time of the year. But I just, yeah. I'm the Tars are, I'm a massive fan of the organisation there. So 2007, wow. I think we first, hang on, I'm getting <laughs> things thrown at me. 18 years. Yeah. Is it 2007? I can't do maths. 2005. That's uh, amazing. 2005, yeah. And it, yeah. the, um, yeah, I heard that. that. Look, look, everything's, everything's, um, everyone here is desperate to win. It's a very competitive organisation, very ambitious organisation. That's awesome. We, we've had a similar year to last year, and last year that was seen as a success because the year before was tough. Um, this year that's not seen as a success because we had ambitions of ideally top four and we've missed that. So, yeah, definitely they have a huge drive across the club to put that right next year. Um, yeah, that's awesome. We, we want to we want to improve and we need to. So that's, that's very much what, um, what's getting talked about here in reviews. How do we get ourselves in the top four? Yeah, I love it. And you mentioned Darren Coleman earlier in your chat. Yep. He was a coach of the Giltinis, wasn't he? 
He was, yeah. Has he bought, has he bought a bit of the flair from the Giltinis into the tires? <laughs> like, are we going to see a, a new revive revved up, the boys rocking up in pink, rocking up on scooters? Like, are no, we going there? Or? I, I, I don't think there's that common. You might, I, I occasionally see him rocking around in his Giltini flip-flops, which are pretty, pretty yeah. flamboyant, pretty colourful, but that's about all he's bought so far from, from Giltinis. He's, um, yeah, he's, um, you'd have to ask him that, but I don't think we're going to be in, in multi-coloured anytime soon. <laughs> I love watching the Giltinis each week after week. It's some of the best social media that I've, I think I was watching more rugby there than I was in Australia at the time. It was it was epic. I heard I heard about it. Like we, I was, it didn't get much airtime in the UK. I heard bits and bobs. A couple of Scottish. I was in Scotland at the time when he was there, and there was a couple of Scottish boys who went over there. And every now and again, you flick to Instagram and you see posts on it. It looked like they had a hell of a time, and they yeah, won. The, like was, and they won the competition, and they well. were winning too. Like yeah, yeah. Get, get that work that out. That doesn't make, make sense, does it? <laughs> so, mate, if people want to catch up with you, uh, follow you, look at what you're doing, how do they find you? Like in this world of digital. Yeah. Good luck. I don't have a huge online presence. Um, I've um, I have a, I have Twitter, which is either the this is how well coordinated I am. The Twitter is Lumley underscore Nick, and yep. the, Insta- the Instagram is Nick underscore Lumley. Um, I do have them. I don't use them a lot. I don't post very much, but I do use them as scroll and catch up with stuff. And quite common actually. Twitter is a very good source of research and. Most guys, most of the world we live in now, you publish something academically and you put it on Twitter. So, yeah, exactly. Um, That's what all happens, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so, no, I, I am on it. If people want to chat or reach out, then by all means, I'd always reply to people that uh, reach out through those means. It's kind of easier doing that than emailing people in the modern day, isn't it? So, it's, yeah, exactly. it, it's, uh, it's quite common that guys get reach out that way. I'm very happy to talk to people that way if it's of interest. Well, we always get a lot of people come to our business and they talk about how do I do it, like, and yeah. it's probably that's why I did ask you that question, like, what was your journey? Yeah. How would what would you say? Is it tough for the family? Is it all those things? They're all yeah. scenarios you get thrown at us all the time because yeah. you know, people know we know a lot of people in sport, mate. It's been unbelievable chatting to you. It, it's Sharon is constantly telling me that we're catching up soon, you and I, to talk about what I'm doing wrong in nutrition. So I'll get that fi- sorted out soon, Shaz, <laughs> for you, so that we can um, mm. actually work together instead of just saying take the shit we tell you to take because. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we both know that doesn't work, but it's, well, it's mate. It's I really enjoy what Sharon sends through, and it makes complete sense. And I think you're on a really clear path as to what you're trying to deliver there for the players and for the Tars fans. And I just want to say thanks. No, thank you. Thanks for having me, and thanks for your support. We are as much as I send through requests. We're a big fan of your products and the ones that we use. They're uh, yeah, they're awesome. You make quality stuff. So no, thank you. No, I appreciate that. And Adam, um, don't, don't be afraid, mate. I haven't lost my phone number. Give me a buzz whenever you want. <laughs> He doesn't return my calls either, don't worry. No. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on board. Next year, the TARS premieres. You heard it here, and it is going to be a big preseason for you now that you're delivering a premiership to everyone in New South Wales. Thanks, thanks. Heaps, and it's been great chatting. Thanks for that. Thanks, Nick. No worries.